Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. The 3CR annual radiothon is almost here. All donations over $2 are tax deductible. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. To donate, just call 03 9419 8377 or online at 3cr.org.au. Help keep this mighty station going strong for many more years to come. Radiothon 2017 3CR Radio for Change. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixed Down. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Communication Mixdown, that's us. And I'm John Langer here this week with a recipe for the perfect communication cocktail. Here's how to make it. You take one Australian woman. Better yet, you take one Australian woman who's relatively young, young and relatively photogenic. You get her to travel to foreign lands, and that's lands that have strange customs and skin colors. You get her into trouble and claim, she claims, that the trouble she's in is not of her own making. And most important of all, for your cocktail, your perfect communication cocktail, is you make sure there's lots and lots of media, particularly commercial media, following her around all the time. Then... If you want to make your communication cocktail age and mellow, put it on the back shelf for maybe six or seven years, then pull it out again, and if you really want to imbibe, just add a slosh of social media. And voila, you there you have it, the Chappelle Corby communication cocktail. Well, I know, look, the analogy communication cocktail, it's a bit labored, i got to say, but I couldn't help myself. But it's a good way to introduce our topic and our first guest for the show. He's Anthony Lambert, and he's at Macquarie University. He teaches and researches in cultural studies, and he's been tracking the Chappelle Corby saga from its early days. Hello, Anthony. Hi, hi. Did you like my uh, horrible <laughs> analogy? <laughs> Look, I liked it. I was waiting for a kind of drug-related <laughs> metaphor, <laughs> but um, no, the cocktail works well. It's definitely a mix, and it's... Definitely has um, interesting results. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, so the Chappelle Corby case, it, it was a very public event, event. But for you, its importance is the way that it articulates or did articulate and speak to a whole range of contemporary issues related mm. to Australian culture. And you've written about Corby and the emotional investment that 
lots of Australians had in her. You describe her, and this is the interesting thing for me about what what you've written about her. She, you mm. call her the daughter who is Australia. Can mm. you tell us a bit about about why you s- spoke about it that way? Yeah, look, the way I spoke about it was in terms of a representational history. So my argument was really that these events, as they are, don't just come from thin air. Of course, as most media events don't, they're actually the result of you know, a history of certain patterns of representation that somehow kind of collide and come together into a cocktail, if you will. Um, Australia historically had traded in terms of the white female during the first two world wars. The white female was under threat. The white female was going to be attacked by these horrible Asian others and so on and so forth. Um, in the 1950s, we had the beach girls. Um, in the 19 19- 80s, we had Bangkok Hilton, where Nicole Kidman was famously a character who was caught with um, heroin inside her camera case and was, of course, going to be put to death and had to escape this horrible Singapore prison. So these are the kind of reference points that we had up until this point. But also, at the same time, we had a history of Bali. We had a history of travelling to Bali, the working classes. So this whole kind of reliance on the young white female to represent the nation when it's in trouble sort of came to bear in this situation. Um, the only real reference point we had up until that point was really that Bangkok Hilton moment and a few other isolated episodes where women had been caught in prison overseas. So initially our response was an explicitly racist one mm. and we claimed her as the daughter, we claimed her as the everyday Australian that this could happen to because since the development of cheap airfare and air travel, um, Bali had absolutely become part of Australia's backyard. So as much as it was foreign and strange, we also had a sense of ownership over it, particularly mm. in terms of a rite of passage to travel there. So she was the daughter who was Australia in that sense, in a kind of historical sense, mm. and in the sense of she could have been anybody. That's really how it played out at the time, and I think that investment and certainly a lot of the um, messages that were sent around regarding Chappelle on the internet were, what would you do if this was your daughter? What would you mm. do if this was your sister? Mm. Um, I mean, I could go back further into early Australian films where... The, the white daughter always represented the nation in a kind of really mm. screwed up colonial family. Mm. The men were always drunk or aggressive, but it was always the white female that would mm. come out to represent the nation in a range of different ways. So in a sense, our fears and phobias about what might happen when you go off the tourist track, particularly post 9-11, post the Bali bombings, um, came to bear on this figure of the young, pretty, working class white female. I was going to ask you about this because you were writing mm-hmm. back and you were following it very, very uh, closely back in 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. And you suggest that it does cut across a whole bunch of contemporary issues. Obviously, you've talked about nation, the nation, yeah. but you also mentioned border security, the war on terror, mm-hmm. which was kind of, that was part of the, I guess, the, the public discourse at that time. Can you speak to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since 9-11 in particular, there was a, a renewed focus on security around travelling. So the, the fact that Chappelle's bags weren't apparently weren't scanned or photographed before they went to Bali is it, kind of surprising in that context because we would have assumed that you know that we would have had an increased focus on scanning baggage, particularly in this age of terror and terrorism. Um, also connected to the Bali bombings as well, it was the closest terrorist attack we'd really had. 88 Australians died in that first Bali bombing in 2002 and a number in the second bombing in 2005. So we we had terror close to home as well. So in a sense, she was in a place that we were starting to think was a little bit dangerous and that we didn't really know as well as we thought we did. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing that's really interesting in relation to what you 
you've been discussing is that was back 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. be, even before that. Um, she She's arrived back in Australia this week, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to read a couple of things that I, I came across while I was, I guess, I suppose, investigating and, and researching mm-hmm. this, our interview. Uh, there was a report that said, I'll quote, celebrity agent Max Markson believes public demand for Corby stories are undimmed. And then there was this letter in a newspaper, a letter to the editor. And in this letter, the person writes, she's a convicted drug offender being treated like a celebrity. I am dismayed at the level to which we stoop in the name of news. I couldn't care less about Ms. Corby. Now, what's your take on it at this point? Well, the thing that both of those figures have in common, that is the PR consultant and the disgruntled media consumer is that they're both responding to Chappelle Corby. So whether we agree or disagree or whether we think the interest is warranted and what she'll do with it doesn't really change the fact that both parties are passionately interested. Why did that person feel it was need to write that letter if they weren't concerned or cared about Miss Corby? Um, I have a funny feeling that on some level, at least the media retention is irking them, if not the story itself. So it's still having, you know, a resonance with people be that negative or positive. Um, the interest is still there, I think, to a certain extent, um, partly because we've invested so much in it. It's a serial event. It's a soap opera event. It's been ongoing. As you said yourself, we put it away, we bring it out again, we add to it, we change it. So it's an ongoing story about an Australian woman and an Australian family that we are interested in. Mm. But we get very frustrated and we get very upset when we don't get the answers we want or the story doesn't go the way we'd like it to. You know, so I guess that this whole recent media frenzy, media circus around Chappelle Corby um, can be incredibly frustrating because it's exposed us to Corby in ways that we didn't want to be exposed necessarily, but it also hasn't given us the kind of narrative resolution I think that we want. Mm. We were hoping perhaps that we'd have access to her, that she would be accountable, you know, in the same way that the cricket team might be when they lose the Ashes overseas, you know. We want this kind of naughty daughter who's Australia mm, to come back mm. and explain herself, mm. you know. And she hasn't and, done and that yet. No, she hasn't. But if anything, she's kind of, you know, put her nose up to the media and kind of done her own thing, which is, which is very interesting, I think, to watch as well. What we have to understand now is that she's no longer behind bars and she's no longer within courtrooms and, you know, Indonesian spaces where she's relatively contained and therefore available to the media. Now she has a little bit more power and a little bit more control over her own whereabouts and also over the kinds of information that gets out about her. So the, this has kind of shifted a bit, I think. The other thing, I want, going back to my, let's call it my NAF analogy, but although yes. may, maybe it's not as NAF as I thought, but um, uh, the Corby case and, and the communication cocktail that I was, mm. I was discussing, I'm wondering about, and you've obviously thought quite extensively mm. about this, the big slosh at the end, or that you, you pull it out, the big slosh of, of, of the media, which is added to this, is, of course, the social media. Ha, have you, and in particular in relation to her release and her deportation, have you got a comment about the way social media has kind of swirled around this as well? I do. I mean, first and most obviously, I think, is her own popularity on social media. I mean, to parlay her own notoriety into a kind of social media following, I think, is quite clever. And I think not entirely unexpected. I'd be very surprised if she hadn't been monitoring social media quite closely over the past three years during her parole period. Um, she would have had some access to that. Mm. So she would be familiar to, with, you know, at least with the stories that are going on about her. The other side of it is, you know, what I guess media outlets and celebrities and, and well-known people tweet, post, 
and put online about her. And then finally, it's the responses of everyday people on different social media platforms, including her own posts, um, in response to what she said and what she's up to. So there's a range of different things going on. To me, it feels like within social media, whilst people are talking about being over it and there's all memes that are quite funny about Chappelle going shopping and have too many things in her bag, so on and so forth, there's lots of funny things happening. But there's also a really an interesting kind of support for her in some ways. And I think her social media strategy has been fairly clever in that way because what we're getting is just the sense that somebody is just finding their way. Gee, it's cold. I put on these wacky stockings and then I post it online. This is the book that I wrote. These are missing children. Somebody should be looking for them. Mm. You know, it's interesting the things that she is posting because we're at very least getting some kind of construction of her as compassionate and kind of self-deprecating and a little bit kind of um, maybe perhaps in a sense we're finding that she isn't this unlikable criminal Mm. person. Mm. I mean, how do we reconcile that really with, as the reader said, that we're celebrating what is essentially a criminal case. Mm. This is problematic. We, we have done it before. I mean, Mark Chopper read years ago. Mm. Um, mm. Chopper was very big, you know, and he was on Kerry Ann Kennelly one time and Alan Jones was walking off and there were all sorts of dramas around whether or not that person should be fettered by the media. Mm. Um, in a sense, Chappelle probably should be fettered by the media because the media listened to her when she called out and said she was innocent and built that into a story that then had ratings and had national interest attached to it, also had political um, discourses attached to it too. Um, Indonesia were talking about, you know, prisoner swap programs. People were saying we should withdraw funding from, for our support for the tsunami victims. You know, there was a whole range of stuff going mm. on, you know. At one point it was even attached to the West Papua situation. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. whole kind of international event aspect of this can't be denied. So as much as we'd say, you know, we don't want to be celebrating her or fetting her as a celebrity, fine, let's not do that. But at very least, we need to acknowledge that this is a case of the media and of Australian culture and of Australian history that has had certain effects, and we need to acknowledge those and try and understand them. I, um, think, I don't think she's going away anytime soon. I think you're going to have to write something else, a, a follow-up, I, I'd say. <laughs> Bring <laughs> as we speak, as we speak. My fingers are on the keyboard. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for your input and your insights. Very interesting to talk you're to you. You're very welcome. And all the best with your writing. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Talking there with Anthony Lambert, and he's a senior lecturer at Macquarie University. His uh, article or his piece that he wrote, as I said, uh, 2007, 2008, Seeing Culture, Seeing Chappelle, Chappelle Corby as International Visual Event. And I'm sure you're going to see Anthony Lambert, uh, as he said, he's at the keyboard right now doing some stuff. And uh, we're Communication Mixed Out. We'll be back very shortly, but I want to remind you that uh, Radiothon's coming up, and it is mighty soon. The 3CR annual Radiothon is almost here, and in 2017, 3CR is Radio for Change. From June the 5th to the 18th, we're asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. And all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call 03 9419 8377. Or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR, radio for change. 
on to a Chappelle Corby communication cocktail, Mark II, or is it Cassandra Sainsbury, locked up in a Colombian jail, accused of attempting to smuggle cocaine, which, by the way, she claims she didn't know she was doing. Alana Schetzer is a journalist and a writer and an editor and an academic, and she's been following the Cassandra Sainsbury case very carefully over the last little while as it's been unfolding across a number of media platforms. Good evening, Alana. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Now, an obvious question to start with, and one that you've no doubt been spending a bit of time considering in terms of media, Cassie Sainsbury, Chappelle Corby rebooted, or is it something different? It is something different. Um, I think the issue with the Chappelle Corby case is that she was in Bali. It is one of our closest neighbours. Many people travel there. We have a very close association with Bali. Uh, Columbia is somewhat different. We don't really know much about it. Um, But there are so many similarities with the cases. So I think that's why we have become so fascinated with Cassandra. And uh, you wrote a piece in The Guardian, actually, that very interesting piece, The Guardian Online, and you likened the Cassie coverage to a reality TV show, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Why did you? Why was that? Well, I started thinking about Cassandra's case came up about the same time as Corby was being freed from Bali, and there were so many indicators making them so similar. They're young, they're, they're attractive, they come from fairly ordinary backgrounds, and they've wound up in this terrible situation, um, whether by purpose or or, or not. Um, and I've begun to wonder why is it that we get so many updates. We get updates about what she's wearing, who she's talking to, what she's eating. And I started to think, well, if we were in America, this is how we would be fed news about the Kardashians. We don't really have our own Kardashians. Australia doesn't really produce celebrities, so we turn mm. our alleged drug mules into celebrities. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting, very interesting, Alana. Um, what are the big differences, and I guess you are aware of this as much as all the people who have been following this, the big differences is the beginning of the story, as it were. The beginning of the Chappelle story and the beginning of the Cassie story is the centrality of social media. What's your take on this? Look, social media has become the public jury of all time. Is very look it's the, the, with Cassandra. She's an alleged drug mule. Um, that's what's really important here. Uh, Corby has been convicted. She's been found guilty. Um, but social media doesn't really sort of really think about things that way. The more about picking apart. Um, what they've read, they're putting their two cents in. And it's, it's very tempting to do because we put in our two cents about everything. Uh, we don't really stop to think what impact this could be having, not only on a, an actual person, their family, their friends, but also the judicial process as well. It can Social media can potentially be very dangerous. So in a sense, the, the social media in terms of uh, the Cassandra case is is something which... Uh, may in fact what eventually affect the way her 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 legal her legal process would work. If the case was in Australia, um, that would be uh, definitely potentially an issue. It was an issue um, when the murderer of uh, Jill Ma was in court. Um, some people were forced to take down certain articles and social media posts. Given it's a different country, you, you can't police social media from overseas. But 
Uh, and I'm not aware of the Colombian um, hmm. judicial process, but, you know, when in doubt, it's best not to tweet something about someone's alleged guilt hmm. or innocence. Mm-hmm. Now, the... the um the thing that's interesting, you, 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 you are a journalist and you're a practicing journalist, and I want to ask a question that relates to your profession. Now, I'm not sure whether this is an appropriate question, but I'll ask it anyway, and you can just tell me what you're thinking. Uh, I want to put the question in terms of the context that lots and lots of people are clearly fascinated by Corby, fascinated by, by Cassandra, and others are saying this kind of coverage does journalism a real disservice. It leads to a kind of devaluation of the importance of journalism. Do you have a sense as a as a journalist yourself, and it's not so much about the coverage, but I'm thinking about the people who are actually doing the reporting, the, the stories themselves. Do you have any sense of how the journalists who cover this, this these kinds of stories feel about their work and doing this kind of reporting? I can only speak for myself and my own experience, but I've been a journalist for 10 years. I've certainly been told to do stories, uh, been assigned stories that I did not personally feel comfortable doing. Um, That's a reality, unfortunately, of the situation. It depends on how high profile you are, how influential you are, whether you can get out of that or not. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are people doing their job. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are being told to write um, they've been given assignments to write, uh, and every journalist is going to be placed in a uncomfortable position at some point. I would imagine. I I think you need to do for myself. I did the best that I could, mm. um, but look, it, it was definitely a, an uncomfortable situation. Yes, I, I mean, I'm thinking of the the coverage I've I've been watching of uh, uh, Chappelle Corby getting getting released and and being deported and. It's seeming. Look, this is my my take on it, but the seeming unedifying kind of spectacle of the journalist kind of chasing her around and chasing cars and stuff like that. I'm I'm just trying to get a sense of how the how the people doing that work would be feeling about it. I think you've expressed it quite well. Obviously, you are in a job and you do have to do what you're what you need to do or what your your people above you tell you you need to do. Look, I think the great thing about the completely overblown reaction to Corby coming back to Australia is that even the media itself took a moment and actually, you know, Carl um, Stefanovic said, this is a bit ridiculous. You know, she's, she's, she's getting off an aeroplane. Um, she's fooled us all. I think it was fantastic, actually. I think Corby uh, worked the media game to her, her own advantage, and uh, I think she made the media look very foolish, and I think good on her. Okay. Well, look, you better. I, you've, you've, uh, you, you told me you've got to get off to something very quickly. So I want to pr- uh, say that we appreciate your time today and your insights. And thanks so much for being on Communication Mixdown. Thanks so much for having me. That was Alana Schetzer, and she's a journalist, writer, editor, and academic. And she's been following the Cassandra Sainsby case as it's been unfolding in various medium platforms. And as I said before, thanks to Alana, for being with us because she had to hurry off to another engagement. Are you concerned about the growing threat of nuclear weapons? Join the Women's March to Ban the Bomb on the 17th of June in cities across Australia. It's women-led but inclusive of all. Go to womenbanthebomb.org for details. 
Voice your support for the UN negotiations now underway on a treaty to outlaw nuclear weapons and protest against Australia's shameful boycott of these historic talks. 17th of June, womenbanthebomb.org. The International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons Australia is a 3CR supporter. This is Communication Mixdown, and we are just about at the end of the show. I just want to remind you that Radiothon is coming up very shortly, and we are at 3CR are very, very, well, I suppose, uh, encouraged by your support and also want to encourage you to keep the support coming for Progressive Radio, particularly in these troubling and difficult times. We'll be back next week.